quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Record rebound, U.S. job gains soar in June, but will rising COVID cases stall the recovery? China censored the U.S. House passes a sanctions bill following the Hong Kong security law. And Tesla's triumph, accelerating past Toyota to become the world's most valuable car maker. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move and not a moment to lose. We've got another jam-packed show for you today. First up, as I mentioned, a big day for U.S. job gains are much stronger than expected. 4.8 million jobs were added in the month of June. It's the second month in a row of blockbuster gains with leisure and hospitality jobs leading the way. The risk, of course, is that those gains could be reversed or at least stalled as we see more delayed reopenings. But it does mean the U.S. unemployment rate has now dropped to 11.1 percent, an improvement, of course, a dramatic improvement, but still higher than the peak of the global financial crisis. Meanwhile, the number of people still collecting benefits remaining above 19 million people. That despite the millions of job gains that we were talking about there. And that could be down to part-time workers still collecting benefits that bump up the numbers. Remember, the challenges for workers here far bigger than the unemployment rate suggests. Plenty more analysis coming up shortly. For now, let me give you a look at U.S. futures. We've added to earlier gains on those numbers with the Nasdaq set to hit a fresh record high. Meanwhile, the U.S. manufacturing sector is also growing once again, which also helped to lift stocks and sentiment yesterday. The COVID challenge, of course, here harder for the services sector businesses like hospitality than perhaps the manufacturing sector. And we'll talk about this later on in the show. In the meantime, a good session for Europe and Asia overnight, too, as you can see, strong gains there across the board. Chinese stocks now sitting at more than five month highs, regaining all of the pandemic-related losses and now positive, in fact, year-to-date. So investor optimism around the globe, it seems, as we begin Q3. But, of course, the health crisis persists. And with almost half of U.S. states now pausing reopenings or winding back what we've already seen, the jobs data feels a little old. We've got lots to discuss. Let's get to the drivers. Coronavirus infections are spiking to previously unseen highs here in the United States. More than 50,000 new cases were confirmed on Wednesday. The surge comes as President Trump appears to be softening on wearing masks. Senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen is with us. Can't escape from the politics here, Elizabeth. More than 70% of these fresh cases coming in red states. Overnight, President Trump seemingly suggesting... He's okay with mask wearing. And this could be a critical development, not only for cases, but also for the economy, too, as we've discussed. 
Julia, that's absolutely right. Let's take a look at these new cases in the United States. The numbers really are going up. We, on Wednesday, you can see that we had 50,203 new cases in the U.S. The previous high was 45,255. So it's, it's considerably higher than that previous number. That brings the U.S. total to more than 2.6 million. Now, Julia, you mentioned that President Trump seems to have done a bit of an about face here. Previously, he had indicated that he would not wear a mask. Now he says, I'm all for masks. He actually says that he has worn one before, although never in front of a camera. He says he's worn one and he liked the way he looked in it. So, well, there's that. Julia? It's all about the way you look, uh, Elizabeth. Um, Also, Dr. Fauci mentioned uh, yesterday, I know I'm being facetious. Dr. Fauci said yesterday that he meant to alarm people by talking about the idea of seeing 100,000 cases a day. But Again, we go back to the dramatic rise that we've seen in cases in the last few weeks and without preventative measures, without action, be it lockdown, be it greater numbers of people wearing masks, the acceleration towards that seemingly clear. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I when I've spoken to experts about what Fauci said about getting to 100,000, they thought that unfortunately that is plausible. And I have known Dr. Fauci for many years. He does not give numbers that he can't back up. Will we get there? Hopefully not. But it certainly is a, a possible situation. It's it's a it could happen. It, it it reasonably could happen when you look at the how the numbers have been going up. Uh, what we need to do is to take action so that those numbers don't get to a hundred thousand. But he wasn't being hyperbolic. It is certainly within easily within the realm of possibility. Yeah, mark these warnings, Elizabeth Cohen. Always great to have you on. Thank you so much for that. Now, as I mentioned, uh, U.S. futures are soaring on that better than expected June jobs numbers. 4.8 million jobs created last month. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine, it is a great number. It is bigger than the average of what analysts were expected. But as you and I well know, it captures all the upside of reopenings and none of the challenges that kicked in later on in June. I don't want to be a pessimist, but I think caution needs applying here. You know, I think there's a lot to these numbers and, and a lot underneath these numbers. And we should we should look at that full picture. You're right. It is a, a rear view mirror picture of the middle of of June when we were reopening across the country. and There was optimism about getting back to, quote unquote, nor- normal. Uh, those four point eight million jobs, many were in hospitality and leisure and doctor's offices that now have started, you know, their elective uh, procedures again, some construction. So some of the sectors are showing you where people were going, um, going back to work. But that's before the Surgeons in the coronavirus cases that we have that we have seen here. Uh, the jobless rate as well, important to point out, 11.1 percent is an improvement. Uh, that number at face value is still higher than it ever was in the Great Recession or in that terrible 1980s recession. And the government, again, saying that there's a classification problem that they've been working with and it would be more like um, 12 percent unemployment rate if you had all people classified the right way. And then we just showed you the weekly jobless claims. So on the one hand, you have this stronger than expected uh, Uh, jobs number for the month of June, but the more high-frequency data is still showing uh, a lot of people filing for the very first time for unemployment benefits and those continuing jobless claims, people continuing to get checks, still stubbornly high above 19 million. And some of the biggest jumps, once again, admittedly in the biggest states, the likes of California, Florida, New Jersey as well, ones where we're watching cases rise. And of course, New Jersey taking additional measures in the past week too. Christine, the stubbornness of the numbers of people here that are continuing 
to claim benefits as well. It's still above 19 million people. One suggestion I saw made about this was it incorporates people that have had their hours reduced. And I still think for all Mm -hmm. the millions of people that we're talking about, you have to look down this enormous release to see that more than 30 million people in the latest data that we have claiming some form of benefit. It's just mind-blowing. It really is. And, and you know, I, I want to be very clear that this is a stronger-than-expected picture today, but it's all very relative. We are at the bottom of a very deep hole in the American job market, and we don't see, you know, the end of the pandemic quite yet. And I think that this sort of snapback, this resurgence in cases, really um, raises a lot of questions for companies, uh, for, for people going back to work, for states and, and, and mayors, for how we're going to handle any of these uh, new cases and what that's going to mean for the jobs market and what it's going to mean for stimulus. We heard the president say yesterday that he's all for more stimulus checks for American families. Even as some of these numbers start to improve, there will need to be more support for the American economy until we get to the other side of the pandemic part of this problem as well. Yeah, and this is the key. Let's celebrate millions of jobs being added back. Absolutely. Let's try and do our best to keep adding those jobs back by yes. getting in control of the virus. It's all positive. It can be all positive here. It's just the fear is that if we don't get in control of this, um, it will cost jobs. Absolutely. And it's not one or the other. It's not ignore the pandemic and focus on reopening, right, or stop reopening. I mean, we have to do all of those things at the same time. You know, as we're reopening, we have to have an eye on the pandemic and a real national strategy, national strategy for how we are going to protect people and carefully open the economy again. You know, so I, I think I think that um, we, we've started. We're out of the gate and the jobs clearly show that they will come back when the economy reopens. But watch those numbers for the resurgence of coronavirus cases and whether that could could temper some of this near term optimism here. Yeah, those job gains are coming at a cost in terms of cases and it doesn't have to be this way. Christine Romans, thank you so much for that. All right, now on to the crisis in Hong Kong. China warns it could retaliate with corresponding measures for Britain's decision to extend a path to citizenship for Hong Kong residents. The offer by the British government came shortly after China imposed a tough new security law on Hong Kong. Meanwhile, CNN's Will Ripley spoke to the only Hong Konger on the committee that drafted the law. Will joins us live from Hong Kong. That says it all, Will, the fact that there was just one Hong Konger representing millions of people in this territory. What did he have to say about the use of it and and how stringent perhaps it will be used? Yeah, think about it. You know, 1.4 billion people in China and 170 members of the Chinese political elite that basically decide the laws that decide their fate and also the fate of the 7 million people here in Hong Kong with just one Hong Kong representative. But I was able to speak with him and he took us inside the process of creating this national security law, which despite the condemnation from the United States, which says it's the end of one country, two systems, the UK offering a path to citizenship for 3 million British nationals overseas living here in Hong Kong. He says that this law is necessary to prevent Uh, what he calls acts of terrorism and potential acts that could undermine the national security of China because China views this protest movement, Julia, not as, you know, an uprising from within. They think foreign forces are the ones who are influencing. So I asked him about the arrests, the first wave of arrests 
for this national security law at the protests for the July 1st handover. Very small protests, by the way, compared to last year. But there were 370 arrests, Hong Kong police out in force, and some of those arrests the first for the national security law. It might be because some people intentionally challenged the law. Also, it might be because they did not understand the contents of the law. How is a 15-year-old girl in possession of a Hong Kong independence banner, or anyone for that matter, a threat to the national security of China simply for possessing such a banner? We feel very sad that some youths and teenagers have violated the law. We really don't want to see such cases, but unfortunately, in the last year, many youths and teenagers violated the law. He did say that a banner in and of itself may not lead to very serious charges under the national security law because the penalties here are huge compared to what existed in Hong Kong just a day and a half ago. You're talking about, you know, 10 or more years, the maximum penalty life in prison for these crimes of secession, subversion, terrorism, or colluding with foreign forces. But what they are going to do is take people's phones, go through their social media posts for the past many years, uh, look at their electronic footprint and try to see if they can build a case that these people are somehow undermining the national security of China, including that 15-year-old girl. So her investigative process is just beginning, but this also has activists and teachers, you know, wondering could they be prosecuted for what they teach in school if it ideologically doesn't line up with the beliefs of the Communist Party in mainland China. But there are others, uh, you know, who say that this is a return to a sense of order here in Hong Kong. And we did see the chilling effect. The number of people who were out protesting, willing to take the risk to be prosecuted under this new law, Julia, substantially smaller this year th than last year, where, of course, we saw hundreds of thousands of people out on a regular basis. And then, you know, one year ago yesterday, remember, they broke into the Legislative Council complex, took over the complex, spray-painted anti-China slogans on the walls. Those kind of crimes today could land people in jail for the rest of their life, potentially under these new, uh, these new laws here in Hong Kong. So important to understand. Will Ripley, thank you so much for uh, bringing that to us. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. In Russia, official results show a big majority of voters backed a raft of constitutional changes, opening the way for President Vladimir Putin to stay in power until 2036. 78% voted for the government's plans, permitting him to run for two more six-year terms of office. Independent organizations have cast doubt on the numbers and questioned the legitimacy of the voting process. In London, the High Court has denied Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro access to around $1.1 billion in gold stored in the Bank of England. The court said it's because the British government recognizes Juan Guaido as Venezuela's president instead. The Venezuelan central bank, controlled by Mr. Maduro's government, says it will appeal. OK, coming up on First Move as China condemns the U.S. Congress for taking a stand on Hong Kong. A key senator involved tells me why the president must intervene. And later, the Paycheck Protection Program may have been extended, but what more is needed to save America's small businesses? That's all coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York on this rare bumper jobs Thursday. U.S. stocks are set for a strong open this morning after the U.S. reported a much stronger 
than expected. 4.8 million jobs were added to the economy last month. That's great news. The unemployment rate ticking lower to just over 11%. The discouraging news, though, is that the jobless claims remain elevated. Another 1.4 million people filing for first-time benefits last week. And the number of people actually collecting benefits remains stubbornly above that 19 million people level. The business challenges remain acute. And the fear now, of course, is that the economic activity has slowed in recent weeks due to rising COVID cases in many parts of the United States. All right, let's return to one of our other top stories here. The future of Hong Kong and China says U.S. legislation to obstruct its new national security law is doomed to fail. The House passed legislation that would penalize banks doing business with Chinese officials who brought the law into place. The legislation will now return to the Senate. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, meanwhile, slammed China's actions. Beijing's so-called national security passed on the eve of the 23rd anniversary of the handover of Hong Kong from the UK to China signals the death of the one country, two systems principle. The purpose of this law is to frighten, intimidate, and suppress the people of Hong Kong who are peacefully demanding the freedoms they have long been owed. Democratic Senator Ben Cardin, who sits on the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. He's also a sponsor of the Hong Kong Safe Harbor Act, which would offer protesters refugee status in the United States. Senator Cardin, fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I do want to talk about the Safe Harbor Act, but first, Speaker Pelosi making a very bold statement there. Is the Democratic Party operating as if the one country, two systems is now over? Well, Julia, first, it's good to be with you. And we stand with the people of Hong Kong. There were commitments made of self-determination and rights. Uh, Those commitments are being now denied by uh, uh, China. Uh, So the legislation that we have authored would provide a safe harbor for those who want to seek refuge here in the United States from the oppressive policies. It looks to me that uh, Speaker Pelosi is correct. We're seeing the end of the one country, two system commitment that was given 23 years ago. And uh, that is uh, going to be problems, uh, not only for uh, the future of the people that live in Hong Kong, but for the special status that that territory has in regards to international trade. So there will be consequences. Can you just elaborate on the consequences? Are you in favor of seeing the withdrawal of those special privileges, those trading privileges that that Hong Kong has been given by the United States? I'm in favor of the United States leading an international effort to have China comply with its commitments and providing the rights for the people of Hong Kong. That's our objective. Our objective is not to isolate Hong Kong. Our objective is to protect the rights of the people that live in Hong Kong. And this law that China passed, the Security Act, the so-called Security Act, is a repressive measure against the rights of the people of Hong Kong. And we have to stand up against that. Senator, does this act really have bite, though? Because what if China tries to move to prevent those Hong Kong protesters leaving and coming to the United States or another nation? What's the response then? Well, you have seen uh, where the United States stands up with our allies on principle, on basic international human rights. Uh, we're we're stronger for that. So there will be consequences. Uh, there will be consequences in regards to the relationship between the United States and China, and I hope our allies in China. 
Uh, we have uh, many, many aspects to that relationship. Uh, and, and clearly, it's all wrapped in our value and living up to our commitments. And China's not living up to its commitments today. So there would be consequences. The United States and China are the two largest nations in the world. They're the most militarized nations in the world. Getting along, being in a, a relationship actually is essential going forward. And I think you've hinted at that given the complexity of the, of the broader relationship. What does the relationship between the United States and China look like under a future President Biden? Is it stronger or weaker than it is today, do you think? Well, I hope it would be stronger from the point of view that the United States will stand up for international human rights values and make it clear to China that we want to have a productive relationship. We want to have a relationship that uh, protects the security of our countries in the region. We want to have a relationship that can benefit both of our economies and the global economy. Uh, but it's got to be based upon international standards. So uh, standing strong against China with our allies. Uh, to me, the problem with the Trump administration, he's isolated America, where we should be isolating China. So I think you'll see a stronger relationship. That doesn't mean we, we can't do more than one thing at a time. Clearly, we cannot stand still and let them do what they're doing in regards to the people of Hong Kong. But we've got to make it clear, China needs the international community for its economy. Yes, we benefit from a global economy. But quite frankly, we, we're not from a, we don't have to negotiate from a point of view of weakness. We can negotiate from a point of view of strength. I want to move on because we could continue to discuss this and debate back and forth for the, for the rest of my show. And I know you were a key player in extending the Paycheck Protection Scheme, the lending money to small businesses in the United States. It's only been extended to uh, the 8th of August. What more is needed, Senator Cardin? Cardin because we're going through a situation now where much of the country is pausing its reopening measures and particularly for businesses in hospitality, they're going to need more time and more support. Oh, absolutely. Julia, uh, I uh, made that request uh, on Tuesday to extend the current PPP program. That's the largest program ever passed on behalf of small businesses in America uh, to August the 8th to give us time to negotiate the next round. We're going to have another opportunity when Congress returns in the middle of July to pass another stimulus package in response to COVID-19. I can tell you there's strong bipartisan support to provide additional assistance to our small businesses, recognizing that when we passed the original bill in March, we had expected our economy to be performing at a much higher level than it is today, and that small businesses that are in need have seen significant revenue losses are going to need another round of help from the federal government. Uh, and we're committed to negotiating a bipartisan program that will help particularly those businesses that have seen dramatic revenue losses, the smaller small businesses and those that are in underserved communities. Senator, I look at some of the case rises and where they're happening around the country, and I believe more than 70 percent of them are happening in red states. Do you think this will make some of those senators and, and congressmen that are reluctant to see a further extension of the unemployment benefit increase perhaps reconsider in light of the pressure that people within their own states are going to face in the coming months? I can tell you throughout America, we need additional protection for those who have lost their jobs. And you are correct. We're seeing in some of the southern states that the large increase in numbers, uh, that's going to reflect a higher number of people who cannot find employment. 
So uh, there is a need to extend the unemployment benefits. Remember that the original bill passed 96 to zero on the Senate floor. We're hopeful we're gonna have that same type of a bipartisan commitment to help the people of this country uh, throughout our nation. And that means extending unemployment insurance. It means helping our state and local governments. And it means helping those businesses who are suffering through this uh, pandemic. Makes sense to me, sir. Time to act. Senator Ben Cardin. Sir, thank you so much for joining us on the show and uh, stay safe. All right, so we are counting down to the market open this morning. That's up next. Stay with us. Breaking news into us at CNN. A longtime friend of Jeffrey Epstein has been arrested, according to a person familiar with the matter, Ghislaine Maxwell, who's been under investigation for facilitating Epstein's recruitment of young girls and women, is due in court later today. Maxwell denies any wrongdoing. We will bring you more on this story the moment we get it. All right, let's move on for now. U.S. stocks are up and running on this last trading day of the week on Wall Street. We've got a strong open for stocks after the release of a much stronger than expected U.S. jobs report. 4.8 million jobs, in fact, created in the United States last month. And the unemployment rate ticked lower to just above 11 percent at this moment. But strong jobs growth has not yet translated into an improvement in jobless claims, which remains stuck at well over 1 million additional people asking for first-time benefits. And call it the stock, meanwhile, that needs no recharging. Tesla shares are moving further into record territory after reporting strong second-quarter deliveries before the bell. Tesla has now taken the crown as the world's most valuable car maker, overtaking Toyota. More on Tesla later on in the show, too. But I do want to get back to some analysis on those jobs numbers. Uh, joining us now, Jason Schenker, president of Prestige Economics. Jason, great to have you with us. Your assessment of what we saw in terms of the job gains for the month of June and, of course, the persistence, I think, of the number of people that continue to collect benefits in the United States. Yeah, so I think on the one hand, we've got this positive jobs report, the unemployment rates lower than people were expecting, more jobs created than people expected. But we also still have misclassification errors that could put the unemployment rate not at 11.1, but according to the BLS, as high as 12.3%. And then, of course, if you count the people not in the labor force who were looking for work, then the unemployment rate would have been 15.4. And if you add up those two differences, you actually get to maybe the unemployment rate 16.6%. So, uh, you know, it, it it's better than it was. It's still high. And all of that noise around the data is consistent with jobless claims. The continued claims actually went up for the most recent week, still well above 19 million jobs. And the new jobless claims, the initial claims, those went down a little bit, but still above 1.4 million new people filing for unemployment. By next week, we think 50 million people will have filed for unemployment in just a 16-week period. Yeah, it's astonishing, Jason. I'm trying to find the silver linings there with the jobs being added back, and you've just painted an incredibly bleak picture of the ongoing challenges here. And it comes at a time when we're seeing cases of COVID spiking and many states now going, including your own, that we have to hold back here and perhaps rethink our, our strategy. Is this as good as it gets, at least on a monthly basis, for the job gains, do you think? 
Well, this is probably going to be one of the biggest months we will see. We, I, I don't expect these kinds of gains to continue going forward. And in fact, if we look at those jobless claims numbers, it does seem that that data tends to be a little bit sticky. So the, the total claims number, the fact that went up, the initial claims remaining well above a million, right? Still above 1.4 million new people filing for unemployment in the most recent week. That indicates that we still have a lot of people still losing their jobs. And even though jobs are being created, there's a lot of folks still unemployed, still on unemployment. It's going to be a slow set of improvements and it won't be linear. As you mentioned in Texas, where we've seen uh, you know, a reversal of some of the reopening of the state on more COVID ho hospitalizations, you know, I think we're, we're going to see the economy recover with fits and starts and not purely linear. And it's going to be a bumpy recovery for the labor market. Yeah, and predicting it is just uh, continually uh, impossible, quite frankly, uh, to get the numbers right here. There's something else that you've focused on very um, clearly, and it's not just about the United States. You've looked at Europe, China and the United States as well, is the difference between manufacturing recovery and services recovery and the fact that we're seeing a stronger recovery in manufacturing, which makes sense given the challenges of, of sectors like hospitality and getting things back to normal. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right, Julie. If we, if we want to look for the, the rays of sunshine, global manufacturing PMIs are where we'd want to see it. We saw expansions in the US ISM. We saw it in the Chinese Saishin. We saw improvements in the Eurozone manufacturing PMI on a global basis, the way we look at manufacturing. Some of the best numbers in over a year as a cumulative aggregate. So the global manufacturing recession may well be over. And that's really good for emerging market economies. But for advanced economies that are heavily service sector based, it's probably going to be a very slow, choppy recovery. What does this mean for stimulus, Jason? We've seen trillions of dollars added. It's clearly going to become a more and more intense conversation over the next couple of weeks here in the United States. Is the answer more? Probably much more. Probably. Yeah, that's probably it. Right. Central banks, the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, they're going to continue to expand their balance sheets. We're going to continue to see governments everywhere spend money. And that's you know, the IMF had a report out about this uh, just just uh, last month. And that indicated that global debt levels to GDP are at the highest they've been since World War II. And they're likely to exceed those levels going to record all time levels of debt to global GDP. So that's on a global basis. That's going to be one of the ways that countries try to push things forward. Jason, great to chat to you. Uh, Jason Schenker, president of Prestige Economics. Uh, president Trump, I believe, in the Rose Garden wanting to comment on those job numbers. Let's listen in. In the month of June, shattering all expectations. I was watching this morning and the expectations were much lower than that. The stock market is doing extremely well, which means to me jobs. That's what it means, jobs. This is the largest monthly jobs gain in the history of our country. The unemployment rate fell by more than two percentage points, down to just about 11 percent. We're down to the 11 percent number. We started at a number very much higher than that. As you know, we broke the record last month, and we broke it again this month in an even bigger way. This news comes on top of May's extraordinary jobs report, which was revised upwards, by the way, to 2.7 million jobs. It was 2.5. That was last month, and that was a record setter. 
but it actually got a little bit better. We revised it, and it was revised upward to 2.7 million jobs. For a combined total of 7.5 million jobs created in the last two months, and that's a record by many millions of jobs. So it's 7.5 million jobs created in the last two months alone. Today's announcement proves that our economy is roaring back. It's coming back extremely strong. We have some areas where we're putting out the flames or the fires, and that's working out well. We're working very closely with governors, and I think it's working out very well. I think you'll see that shortly. In June, we added 2.1 million leisure and hospitality jobs, 740,000 retail jobs, 568,000 education and healthcare jobs, 357,000 service jobs. These are all historic numbers. And 356,000 manufacturing jobs. And manufacturing looks like it's ready to really take off at a level that it's never been before. And a lot of that has to do with our trade policy, because we're bringing manufacturing back to our country. And these take a long time to get, uh, to get going, and they're now going. So these are historic numbers. I'm really happy when I see 356,000 manufacturing jobs, and that's just a small number compared to what it will be soon because of our great trade deals. African-American workers really happily for me made historic gains with 404,000 jobs added last month alone, and that's a record. And the second largest jump uh, will be uh, last month, and what we have, if you add the two months together, it's 700,000 jobs for African-American workers added in the last two months, and that's a record by a lot. Likewise, Hispanic employment is up by 1.5 million jobs, a record by a lot. Hispanic employment up 1.5 million jobs. Three million more women were employed in the month of June. A record. Never had a number like that. Workers with a high school education or less made the biggest strides of all. So people that have just a high school education or have less than a high school education with unemployment, those without a high school diploma dropped a full 3.3 percentage points. That's the largest drop in recorded history. 80% of small businesses are now open, 80%. And we think we're going to have some very good numbers in the coming months because others are opening. And especially as we put the flame out, getting rid of the flame is happening. New business applications have doubled since late March. That's a number that is not even thinkable to achieve this early into a pandemic. The latest ISM manufacturing report rose 10 percentage points, with new orders jumping a remarkable 25 percentage points, all a record. Consumer confidence, which is great, that's a great number to me because that means confidence is really good. If you don't have good consumer confidence, it's like life. If you don't have confidence, you're not going to do very well. Consumer confidence has risen 12 points since April. And six-month job expectations hit the all-time, an all-time high. So think of that for a second. With all we go through, with all of the 
Trials and tribulations that we read about every night, much of it totally fake news, fortunately. And if the consumer didn't get it, you wouldn't have good consumer confidence. We have consumer confidence has risen 12 points since April. An all-time high. Think of that. Retail sales surged an astonishing 18 percent. So retail sales went up an astonishing 18 percent in May. That's the largest increase in the history of our country. That's a tremendous number. 18 percent. The number of and what it means to me is jobs. The number of unemployed Americans reentering the labor force rose by 43 percent. And fewer workers are dropping out of the labor force than before. And the crisis uh, is being handled. You know, if you look, we were talking this morning, something to think about. Uh, China was way early. And they're getting under control just now. And Europe was way early. And they're getting under control. We followed them with this terrible China virus. And uh, we are likewise getting under control. Some areas that were very hard hit are now doing very well. Some were doing very well, and we thought they may be gone, and they flare up, and we're putting out the fires. But other places were long before us, and they're now — it's a life. It's got a life. And we're putting out that life, because that's a bad life that we're talking about. But all of this suggests that workers are confident about finding a new job. The stock market is soaring with the best gains in over 20 years. In the second quarter, the Dow Jones increased 18 percent. This is in a quarter, 18. These are not numbers that people have heard about. It's the best in 33 years. The S&P 500 increased by almost 20 percent, the best since 1998 for the quarter. And Nasdaq increased over 30 percent, the best since 1999, and we had a 50-month, uh, if you look over a long period of time, uh, a phenomenal number. But if you look since the election, we've gone up. The Dow went up close to 45 percent. The S&P 500 went up uh, 47 percent. And NASDAQ Composite went up getting close to 100 percent. So these are numbers that are not numbers that other presidents would have, and they won't have it. The only thing they can kill, it's a bad president or a president that wants to raise taxes. You want to raise taxes? This whole thing, your 401ks will drop down to nothing, and your stock market will drop down to nothing. This is not just luck, what's happening. This is a lot of talent. All of this incredible news is the result of Historic actions my administration has taken working with our partners in Congress to rescue the U.S. economy from a horrible event that was formed, took place in China, and came here, and they could have stopped it. They could have stopped it. Nobody likes to write that, but they could have stopped it. They know it, and I know it. Through the Paycheck Protection Program, we've extended over $520 billion in loans to nearly 5 million small businesses, saving and supporting the jobs of tens of millions of American workers. This has been a tremendous success. 
levels that nobody's ever seen before. But we saved all of those, all of those jobs and all of those small businesses, and some will be large businesses soon, perhaps. We also rushed urgently needed relief to millions and millions of hardworking taxpayers. They got that directly, and we're working on a phase four. We're working with Congress. That work has started. Steve Mnuchin can give you a little briefing. Talking about payroll tax cuts. We're talking about more money being infused. And it comes back to us. It comes back. It's all coming back. It's coming back faster, bigger, and better than we ever thought possible. These are the numbers. These are not numbers made up by me. These are numbers. We've implemented an aggressive strategy to vanquish and kill the virus and protect Americans at the highest risk while allowing those at lower risk to return safely to work. That's what's happening. Our health experts continue to address the temporary hotspots in certain cities and counties, and we're working very hard on that, where the relationship with the governors is very good. We made a call, Mike Pence made a call just uh, yesterday and said, what do you need? Not one governor needed anything. They don't need anything. They have all the medical equipment they can have. Thank you, U.S. government. They have all of the ventilators they have. You know, we, we're giving many ventilators and selling in some cases and giving when needed. But we're, we're the ventilator king. We're now producing thousands of ventilators, thousands of ventilators a week. And we're helping other countries. And other countries are desperately in need of ventilators because this is now at 189 countries. That changes all the time, that number. Our last count is 189 countries, and many of them don't have money, and they almost all of them don't have a capacity to build a ventilator, which is hard to build, very complex, very expensive, uh, very big in many cases. Uh, we've done an incredible job. So we have uh, assembly lines building ventilators, and we're building thousands a week. All of these people are working with governors and local officials to restore best practices, and that's what we've done. That includes face covering, social distancing, testing, and personal hygiene. Wash your hands. State officials will decide how rapidly to open their economies. That's largely up to them. If we see something that's egregious, we've gotten involved with a couple of them where we thought it was unfair. We'd like to see churches opened quickly. And some of them just don't want to do that. In New York, we got a great ruling from a judge, thank you, judge, that they can open. If these best practices are implemented, then the hot spots can be calmed quickly. And we understand this horrible disease right now. We didn't understand the disease at all. We did the right thing. We closed it up. We would have lost millions of lives. We've done a historic thing. We would have lost millions of lives. And now we're opening it up, and it's opening up far faster than anybody thought even possible and more successfully. And as I said, you're going to have a fantastic third quarter. It'll be a third quarter the likes of which nobody has ever seen before, in my opinion. And the good thing is the numbers will be coming out just prior to the election, so people will be able to see those numbers. The fourth quarter, likewise, will be extremely good. And maybe most importantly, from the standpoint of our country itself, next year will be a historic year. Next year is going to be an incredible year for jobs, for companies, for growth. Things are happening like nobody would have thought possible. I do want to comment Boeing, as you know, is moving along in their process. It's been a very hard process, a very complicated progress, but, process, but they have made uh, tremendous 
tremendous gains, and uh, they're going for approvals on the aircraft, on the 737 MAX. Uh, they're also uh, starting to do some real business, so I just want to congratulate Boeing. They've been through so much. I think it was probably the greatest company in the world. I used to say it was the greatest company in the world, and then it ran through a very tough period of time. But I just want to say that Boeing has made tremendous progress in a short period of time. And uh, other companies I don't even have to talk about because they're all setting records. Everyone, virtually every one of our great companies is setting records. So I want to thank everybody for being here today. These are historic numbers in a time that uh, a lot of people would have wilted. They would have wilted, but we didn't wilt and our country didn't wilt. And I'm very honored to be your president. Thank you very much. Thank you. You were listening to President Trump there talking about today's jobs numbers and the uh, historic gains, as he mentioned, that we saw 4.8 million jobs added in June. You have to remember, just to give you some context on what we saw in terms of those numbers, the collection period there is up to around the 13th of June. So all the benefits of reopening captured in these numbers. And then, of course, the challenges have begun and we've seen cases rising. We're now up to 50,000 COVID cases, fresh cases in the United States a day. So this is a great number for June. The question is, what happens next? The president there was saying that, that Q3 will be a record in terms of recovery. He pointed to the gains in the stock market too. But some others might point out that the challenges once again are just beginning and that will have implications for jobs. We're going to take a break. Stay with us. We're back after this. Welcome back to First Move. Shares of Tesla on the rise yet again after the company reported it delivered more than 90,000 vehicles in the second quarter, beating Wall Street's expectations. It comes a day after Tesla became the world's most valuable automaker. Claire Sebastian joins us now. It's not a car maker. It's a tech company that makes cars. Claire Sebastian, tell us more, because it was a quarter that was challenged by production issues, of course, too, and yet they did it. Yeah, it makes these numbers all the more impressive. The fact that their Fremont factory in California, which is really the beating heart of production uh, for this company, was shut down uh, for, for pretty much all of April and some of May as well. So their production was hampered. But even with that, they produced 82,000 cars. They, they, they delivered, which is the closest approximation of sales, at 90,000. That was well ahead of estimates, which were sort of in the 70s and, and 80,000s. Now, this is a big deal for the stock. One, because it puts them on a path again to profitability, according to some, or at least break even. Really impressive, given that shutdown, given the macro context. And a little comparison, Julia, that number, the delivery number, was down about 5% year on year. But we got delivery numbers or sales numbers from other car makers for the same period. GM sales down 34% for that same period. Fiat Chrysler down about 39%. So Tesla starting to sort of prove the, the very bullish valuation that it has on Wall Street. That stock up some 200% since its March lows, more than 400% over the last 12 months. So it really has been on a huge tear. Part of that also, we have to mention, because of China. The Gigafactory in China is up and running. It was less hampered by shutdowns uh, than the one in California. And a lot of analysts think that that was a bigger or, or growing contributor to these delivery numbers in the quarter. Yes, great context. Claire Sebastian, thank you so much for that. All right, that's it for First Move. Stay safe. And we'll see you tomorrow.
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.